You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming, with Pastor Keith Miller. All right, I'm Don Hollingshead. I'm one of the elders here at Meadowbrook Church. If you would rise and join with me in reading our scripture, Revelations 19, 11 through 21. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many crowns, and he has a name written on him, which no one knows except himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the enemies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, are following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads on winepresses of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has his name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying, To all the birds that fly in mid-heaven, come assemble for the feast of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of commanders, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and those who still ride on them the flesh of all the people, both free and slaves, and small and great. And I saw the beast and the, king of the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him, who sat on the horse against his army. And the beast was seized, and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone. And the rest were killed with a sword which came from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. So just to kind of recap the the whole sermon series uh, for, for Advent is we've been focusing on Jesus the King. Like Jesus is King. He was, he's the promised King. He is the King. Uh, if you're here last, last Sunday, as we celebrated uh, Christmas Eve in the morning, that was one message, and then Christmas Eve in, in candlelit service, that was, that was a completely different uh, sermon. I really highlighted just this Jesus that was born in a manger, or was laid in a manger, and uh, who it was that was actually laid in the manger. L- last Sunday morning, we looked at Revelation chapter 1. And just reflected on these different, these like seven character traits of who Jesus is, uh, and then we focused on another eight characteristic traits of like of of, of what he's about. And so today I'm kind of going to do the same thing with Revelation chapter 19. I just want you to see some things that that I see here that I think are really encouraging. Uh, the the big point of Revelation 19 is that. Actually, the whole book of Revelation is, in, is that in the end, Jesus wins. And so whatever it is that you're going through right now, in the end, Jesus wins. He is going to make all that is wrong with this world right. He's going to turn this mess around. He's turning it around. He's turning it around one life at a time. And what I want you to see is not only is he coming back to judge the nations, but I want you to see certain things about this Jesus, the, the Jesus that we worship, the Jesus that was laid in a manger, the Jesus that lived a life that we could never live, the Jesus who died a death that we all deserved, and the Jesus who was buried and on the third day rose from the grave. I just want you to, to just take time to reflect upon that Jesus. 
I want your heart, and I was praying for this all week, I want your hearts to soar over this, over, over these truths. There are eight, uh, eight things. They're not eight sermon points, so rest assured, we're not going to be here through, the, through lunchtime. <laughs> my New Year's resolution for me is uh, to shorten my sermon down a little bit each, each Sunday. Some of you are like, amen. I'm not promising anything, but I'm really going to work hard at it. Uh, but uh, but there are just there are eight things, eight characteristics of this of this Jesus that I that I want you to see, and and uh, they're all here in in really the first these nine, the, verse eleven through verse nineteen. And, and the first is this: is that Jesus is a triumphant king. He's a triumphant king. There's not going to be a whole lot of application I'm going to draw from this. I think you can connect the dots as we work through this. But he comes on a white horse, we're told. Now, remember last week, if you're here, I, I mentioned that the, there, numbers are important, in, not just in the book of Revelation, but in the Bible. They, they, they have some significance. Like the number six uh, it symbolizes like the, the number of man. The number seven symbolizes completeness or fullness. Uh, and, and on it goes. And so, so here, Jesus, and in the imagery in Revelation, like Jesus comes on a white horse. He will come on a white horse. And, and, and that, that simply states the fact that he is a triumphant king. He is a king. Like when he comes, he comes on a white horse. What's so significant about a white horse? Well, Julius Caesar had to get permission from the Roman Senate to ride in a chariot led by or pulled by white horses after he uh, experienced a major uh, victory in war. Typically, a, a general or a commander or whoever would ride a white horse or would have a white horse associated with him as a result of victory. When Jesus comes, he comes on a white horse before he even wages war with the nations. It symbolizes that nobody could stay his hand. He, he is the triumphant king. He's a triumphant king even before war begins. He's a triumphant king, not just in what's coming, but he is a triumphant king in your life. Like he's committed to you. The Bible promises that, that we have one who is faithful. I'm going to get to that in a little bit. But he's, he, he's committed to this work that he's doing in your life. He will see it through. I, I mentioned this last week. Like we're entering the new year. I have a membership at Gold's Gym. I, I dread the first week of January every year because it gets so full with, with people like we're going to people who want to lose weight and have really good intentions and and some of them stick to it some of them don't uh, and some of them are completely new to the gym and they don't understand gym etiquette and all this stuff like, but we have a propensity as a species as humans to to make promises with all the right intentions and all the good intentions but but never really have the ability to carry it through Jesus will carry it through. He is a triumphant king. We're told in the Bible that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what we're told in the Bible. The second thing is that Jesus is, he, he's a faithful and true king. He's a faithful and true king. Like he, he we're, we're entering into uh, We've been in it. 
this political season, right? We have candidates who, want to, uh, who, who believe that they are the best option for the President of the United States. There is a lot of hot air that's being expelled by, on the right and the left by politicians making promises that they cannot keep, right? But Jesus is faithful and true. We're told right, from the, right out of the gate, he's riding on a, on a white horse, and he who, who sat on it is called faithful and true. He's not trying to be faithful and true. He is faithful and true. He's faithful and true, and he will set up his kingdom. And, um, and, and like I said just a few minutes ago, he will com- he's committed to the work that he started in you. He's faithful and true. Every time there, I mean, I was watching, I, I rarely watch the news, but I, I made the mistake of turning it on yesterday. And, and just, just all, you know, what happened in Boulder and Lafayette uh, uh, some time ago uh, with the fires and all the promises that were made to, uh, to, to families that they, you know, by their insurance companies and, and politicians and and, and lawmakers that they would that what they lost would be restored to them and many of them still don't have a home yet Jesus is faithful and true he is planning an eternity with his bride that is the church and he means to make a home for her like he let this settle on your heart for a minute because like it, it, towards the end of January we're going to start a whole new sermon series in Ephesians uh, the Ephesians is in the New Testament. Ephesians is all about what it means to be the church. Like Jesus is committed to the church. The church is Jesus' bride. He's committed to his bride. I was, well, I was in the gym. Usually when I'm doing car- cardio, I'm either on the stair climber or the elliptical. I hate, uh, I'm not a big fan of running. I, I love cycling, for those of you who know me. But when I'm, when I'm on the stair climber, I have my phone out and I have my notes app. And a lot of my ideas for my sermons come during those, during those, you know, that, that, those minutes, those t- that time that I'm on the stair climber or on the elliptical. And, and the thing that occurred to me as I was thinking about this sermon series that I will start in Ephesians, and when I was thinking about this passage that uh, we're in today, is that if you want to, if you want to understand what it means to be a Christian, you need to understand what it means to be the church. And if you want to understand what it means to be the church, you need to understand what it means to be a Christian. And we think that uh, in the evangelical circles, uh, in the evangelical church, we have—I don't know how this happened. Well, I kind of know, but somehow. In some way, we have gotten confused that if I just believe certain facts about Jesus, then I'm in heaven as a result of that. Like, I, I'm in. But the, but the Bible teaches, not just in the New Testament, throughout the Old Testament, but it, it teaches us through and through that to believe, to truly believe in Jesus is not just mental assent, on the, but believe in certain facts about Jesus, but also believing you know, with your heart, like you're, you're invested in this Jesus. When we're told Jesus is faithful and true, <clears throat> and he's committed to his church, and, uh, and the third thing is that he's, right, he's a righteous king. He's a righteous king. When he comes to judge the, the, the nations, he's coming in righteousness, we're told. He um, it says, and in righteousness, he judges and wages war. 
Like we're, we, our world is filled with all kinds of wars. I don't, I don't know if there's ever been a, a moment in, in world history where there was not really a war going on or some kind of conflict. But, when, but, but I, I think it's safe to, to say that most of the wars that our world has experienced have been unjust wars. You know, the, the motives for going into war have been not, not pure maybe for financial gain or for, for, for other reasons. A lot of what's happening in our world today is, you know, suspect. I, I, were, <laughs> I, I didn't think that in my lifetime that I would think that, that, that the reality of a global war would be something I could experience. But we find ourselves in that kind of scenario. And there's a lot of suspect there, you know. Uh, Phrases and, and ideas being tossed around about this great reset and all, all kinds of stuff. But when Jesus comes, he's coming to rage, wage war with the nations to balance the scales of justice because he is righteous. He's a righteous king. There are no righteous kings. Every candidate that's vying for the president, uh, the, the, the role of president of the United States, I guarantee you, is not righteous. But we have a righteous king, and his name's Jesus. He's righteous. We're told in Isaiah chapter 11, I, I, I have the words on the screen. It says, speaking of, of this king that is coming, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord, and he will uh, not judge by what his eyes see, nor make decisions by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the humble of, of the earth. And he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Also righteousness will be the belt around his hips, and faithfulness the belt around his waist. Like when we, like last week we celebrated Jesus, and, and that this promised king was laid in a manger. But the king didn't stay in a manger. He, he, he identified with us in every way. The Bible says he was tempted in every way, yet without sin. He lived a life that we could never live for the purpose of redeeming sinners like you and like me. And he died on a cross for our sins. And on the third day, he was buried in a tomb. And on the third day, he rose from the grave. And then he ascended to heaven. And he promised before he ascended to heaven that he will come back to judge the living and the dead. He's a king. And he's not just any king. He is the king. And we're, we're, we're told another, a fourth characteristic of this Jesus is that he's an, he is an all-seeing king. He sees it all. Like there's, there's nothing that's hidden from his sight. I mentioned that last week. There's nothing that is hidden from his sight. He sees it all. All the dark things in your life, all the hidden things in your life, all the stuff that, that we as a people don't want others to know about. Uh, like he sees it all. I said last week, I said, and he does not grow weary with you. If you're a Christian, he is committed to this work of, of, of molding and shaping you, and he doesn't grow weary with you. Like there's never a time where Jesus will say of his bride, of the Christian, the true Christian, where, there will never be a time where he'll say, I give up. <laughs> I've had those experiences in my life. Have you? Like we just kind of throw your arms up and like, I give up. I, I don't, I'm, I'm at a loss. I, I, this person is beyond uh, help. I mean, if we're, you know, there have been people in my own family I felt that way for, towards. And, uh, but Jesus, he, he doesn't grow weary with his bride. He, he's committed to you. He's committed to me. He's all seeing. 
He's all-seeing. There's nothing in your life when you die and you stand before Jesus, there was nothing in your life that Jesus will say, well, I didn't see that one. <laughs> like, why, why wasn't I paying more attention to that person's life? Like, there's never a moment where that will ever happen. He is the all-seeing king. The fifth characteristic is he's, that he's the king of kings. We're told that, he, that on his head are many crowns. Here's the cool thing about this, okay? So I, I said this last week, and I want to repeat it. One of these days, I'll do a whole sermon series in the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is filled with, with pictures, word pictures. Not everything in the book of Revelation is to be taken literal. Like Jesus doesn't have thousands upon thousands upon thousands of crowns on his head. That's not the point. The point is, is that the, crown, the crowns that are on his head, are uh, you can't number them. The point is that he has an authority that is unmatched and unequal to, to any other king you know, on, this, on this earth. Nobody comes close. Here's the really cool thing about this. Like if, you were, if you're reading through the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 12, verse 3, you know how many uh, crowns the dragon has? You know, Lucifer... He has seven crowns. Well, what does that mean? He's got seven literal crowns on his head because he's got a big head? No. It means that his authority is as full as God has allowed it to be. But it's limited. I've said this before. Like Lucifer, the devil, Satan, he's on a leash. He's on a long leash, but he's on a leash. And you want to know who holds the leash? Almighty God. You know what's coming his way? His head will be crushed one day. What will that look like? Um, it won't be like his head literally crushed uh, like a grape. Like he, he, will be, he will be thrown into the lake of fire. Some of you are like, I didn't need that mental image. He'll be thrown into the lake of fire. The beast that is the Antichrist, you know how many crowns he has on his head? Ten. Is it ten literal crowns? No. The point is that his authority is limited. Every king and every ruler and every dictator, their authority is limited. But there is one whose authority is not limited, and that is King Jesus. That is King Jesus. He is, and that's why he's called King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And on his head are many, the, the, the Greek word is diadems. So some of you have that in, in the translation that you're, that, you're, that you're reading from this morning. Literally, it's crowns. It's the ruler's crown. You can't count his crowns, the crowns that are on the head of Jesus, because he is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords. And uh, on his robe and on his thigh is king of kings and Lord of lords. I don't know if that's like a tattoo on his thigh. I don't know how that works. I don't know if this is like your, your, your proof text verse for, for why tattoos might be okay. I, I don't know. I don't know what the point. Um, but he, on his body, on his person, he has written King of Kings and Lord of Lords because he's the king. Like when it comes to our lifespan, we are, you know, if, you, if, if God blesses you, you'll live 70 years, maybe 75 years, maybe 80, maybe 85 years, maybe 90. Maybe you'll be like my friend Paula who lived to 101 and a half. Like, maybe God will bless you with many years in this life, but at the end of the day, you will die. Like, 
not literally, hopefully. <laughs> like, we have a shelf life. Our bodies are wasting away. But Jesus is eternal. And he promises a day where, where, we will, where the word goodbye will be eradicated, will be, will be stricken from, from the human vocabulary. I like what James said in, in James chapter 4, verse 14. He says, You do not know what your life will be like tomorrow, for you are just a vapor that appears for a little while, and then it vanishes away. We're here and we're gone. But there's a king. There's a king who's eternal. And he's coming to make what is wrong with this world right. He has the ability, by the way, he has the ability to take your marriage, to take your problems, your, the dysfunction in your life, and he has the ability to turn it around. I frequently ask couples that, uh, the, whose marriages are in trouble, especially if they're Christian, do you believe that Jesus rose from the grave? And they'll 100% they'll say, yes, I believe Jesus rose from the grave. Well, then don't you think that he can resurrect your dying or dead marriage? He's the king. He's the king. And then the ninth characteristic, he's a one-of-a-kind king. If you're looking in your Bible, it's right here. Not only are his eyes a flame of fire, and on his head are many, many crowns, and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. That's where I get the one-of-a-kind one kind king. He is unique. There is none like him. There is none like him. Uh, the whole series, this whole Advent series, I've been highlighting that. There's no one like Jesus. He's not some creature that was invented in the, in the mind of, uh, of God. He is God. He is God. He's God in the flesh. He's 100% man. He's 100% God. Like what happened on that first Christmas uh, is, is that Jesus was introduced into the world, but he existed for all of eternity before that. Jesus didn't become the son when Mary conceived him in her womb. He was, has, he's always been the son. What changed, what was so different, what was miraculous, what, what blew the minds of so many people is that God took on flesh. And he is a unique king. He's a one-of-a-kind king. Uh, it was believed in the ancient, ancient East, in John's day, it was believed that... Um, that to know a person's name was to exercise some level of control over that person. It was also uh, believed that uh, a person, uh, that people had a hidden name that contained their, their true essence, their, their, their true nature. What is, what, is, what is being said here about Jesus? He's God. He is God in the flesh. I want to show you something. It's really cool. I mean, I think it's cool. You might think I'm a nerd, but it's okay. So in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, we looked at this passage just a few minutes ago. Like for this reason, so Paul is writing to the Philippian church. Uh, it is believed that this part of what he, was, what he wrote to the Philippian church is actually an early church hymn, a first century church hymn that Paul inserted into his, into his letter. Who knows? But, but the point is the point, right? For this reason also God highly exalted him, who? Jesus, and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that I highlighted and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, many of you are familiar with that passage. 
My guess is you're not familiar, you might not be familiar with Isaiah 45, which says this, declare and present your case. Indeed, let them consult together. Who has announced this long ago? Who has long since declared it? It is, is it not I, Yahweh, it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, you know this, right? Is it not I, Yahweh? And there is no other, what? God besides me, a righteous God and a what? Savior. There is none except me. Okay, pretty clear, right? This is talking about Yahweh, the God of the Bible. Turn to me and be what? Saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God. And just in case you were confused with the first sentence, I am God and there is what? There is no other. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out from my mouth in righteousness, and I will not turn back. Ready? Here's one for the Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons. That to me, every knee will bow and every tongue will swear allegiance. There's only one to whom every knee will bow and every tongue will swear allegiance, and that is to Yahweh. Well, who's Yahweh? Yahweh is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three in one. This is a really cool passage. I don't know. I was geeking out over this because Isaiah is like, yeah, like, there's one who's got, that all the nations will bow to. And then you get into Philippians and Paul said, yeah, you want to know who that one is? It's Jesus. And all, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is what? Lord, right? Yeah, he, he's a one of a kind king. I think understand it, seeing this in light of Revelation chapter 19, Helps you understand the, this name that no one else knows except for himself. Well, the, the whole point is that he is an absolutely unique king. You cannot conjure up this king in your imagination. He is unique. He is unique. And every tongue will swear allegiance and every knee will bow before him. The seventh characteristic of Jesus uh, is that he is a just and holy king. He is a just and holy king. You know, um, you, you've heard me say this a lot. A lot of times when I repeat things, I'm actually preaching to my own heart because I need to hear it multiple times. And when I say that God, God is infinite, like, and, when, and, the, and, the theolo- and that's, a, that's a carefully chosen theological word, infinite. He is infinite. He is infinitely good. He is infinitely loving. He is infinitely all that he is in equal measure, right? You've heard me say, he's not like Shrek. Shrek described, him, described himself as an onion <laughs> to donkey. I have layers. That's what, that's what Shrek said. It's one of my favorite movies. Um, I've seen it like a gazillion times. But God is not an onion. God does not have layers. He is infinitely good as he is infinitely just. And there's no conflict there. He is good. He is good. Listen, what that means, and this is, this, is, this is a good way of preaching the gospel to your own heart. Every time you question, why is it that this is happening in my life? You can go to the reality that God is good and he does not need to get better at being good. Right? He doesn't, he doesn't need to master it. He's, he is. Like he's infinitely good in every way. We're the ones that need to get better at being good. You want to know there's a king who does not need, who will not need to get better at being good. He is absolutely and infinitely just. And that is King Jesus. He is just and he is holy. And we're told that his robe is is dipped in blood. What is is that a picture of? Now this kind of gets a little graphic. What would happen 
Have any of you ever gone to a, uh, like a, a grape stomping ceremony? Nobody. I haven't either. I want to. I think, oh, two people. Cool. Uh, what happens when, when you step on grapes? The juice splatters up, right? Okay, now you're starting to get the picture here. Um, when, as we're reading this, <clears throat> Jesus has a robe dipped in blood. I don't think that's referring to him dying on the cross. It's referring to the judgment that he's bringing. Here's why I say that. Isaiah 63. Let's go to that verse. Why is your apparel red and your garments like one who treads in the what? The wine press. I have trodden the wine trail alone and from the peoples there was no one with me. I also trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath, and their lifeblood is sprinkled on my garments, and I stained all my clothes. Isaiah, the Old Testament book in Isaiah is one of the most quoted Old Testament books in the New Testament, by the way. Where's this imagery coming from of Jesus? It's coming from Isaiah. Is it really going to happen? Is Jesus really coming? Absolutely. What's this garment? What's this red that's on his garments? It's him treading down the nations in judgment. And when I say nations, I'm talking about those who have set their, set their, they've postured themselves against him. Like right now is God's terms of peace. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are heavy laden and, and weary, and I will what? I will give you what? Rest. Right? The, the terms of peace are come to Jesus. Like All who confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised him from the grave will be what? Saved. Like Those are God's terms of peace. Um, but there's coming a time where those terms of peace will come to an end. He's coming to bring peace to the world, but in order to bring peace to the world, he will judge it. And, he's a, and we can trust his judgment because he's just and he is holy. We're told in verse 15 that out of his mouth comes a sharp sword for, so that with it he may strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. Again, and there's not a bunch of swords flying out of Jesus' mouth when he comes again. It's like not, I don't know, the thing I think of as Pokemon or, or something. Like, like things not flying out of his mouth. He, he is, he, the point is, is that the word of his authority is enough to judge the nations. We're told in Psalm chapter 2, I mean, this, this is one that would be really cool for you to, to look at. I mean, you, you can turn there if you'd like. I'll read it for you. Uh, but it, again, the, the imagery in Revelation chapter 19 is drawing from, from places like Psalm chapter 2, which says, says this. I wasn't going to share this, but I figured, why not? Um, let me turn there. All right, I keep skipping it. Here we go. So, Psalm chapter 2. Why are the nations restless and the peoples plotting in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers conspire together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let's tear, down their, sha let's tear their shackles apart and throw their robes away from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in, the, in his fury, saying, But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will announce the decree of the Lord. Uh, he said to me, You are my son. Today I have fathered you. 
Ask it of me, and I will, I will certainly give the nations as your inheritance and the ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and you shall shatter them like earthenware. Now then, you kings, use insight. Let yourselves be instructed. You judges of the earth, serve the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Here's, here's the redemptive part in verse 12. Kiss the son that he might not be angry and you perish on the way. For his wrath may be kindled quickly. How blessed are those who take refuge in him. Like the, the imagery from Revelation chapter 19 is drawing from that. The, the final thing here is that Jesus, is, Jesus, as the word of God, is the promised king. He's the promised king. We're told that he's, you know, he's got a name no one else knows but himself, but on his thigh is king of kings and lord of lords, and the name that everybody does know of him is the word of God. He's the word of God. And, uh, and, and John, when John started his gospel account in the very first chapter, he said this of Jesus, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, not even one thing came into being that has come into, into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of mankind, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not grasp it. Here's, here's the point. Jesus is the word of God. He is, he is the point of, uh, of the Bible. He's the linchpin of the Bible. The, the Bible is about him. And your redemption and your hope and your satisfaction can only be found in him. He, he, think about Jesus' earthly ministry. Like he demonstrated his power over demons, his power over disease, and, and even over death, he raised the dead from the grave. He fed thousands with some kids, five barley loaves and two fish. Uh, he, he walked on water. He, he, quieted, he quieted storms with the word of his mouth, with the breath of his mouth. And so John like, starts off, he says, this, this is the word of God made flesh. He was in the beginning. He was, before the, he was, he, he was with God in the beginning. He was with the Father in the beginning. And then he goes on to say, and, and let this, like John, the, the, the remaining verses of John chapter 1, let, listen to these, these verses, or you can read them on the screen, uh, against the backdrop of Revelation chapter 19. And I want to ask you a question after I do that. So, so he was in the world, and the world came into being through him. And yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not accept him. But as many has received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Like he did all those things, and people still rejected him. Like the life that he lived that we could never live, in the midst of all that, he demonstrated that he was more than just a man. He was God. He, you know, demons trembled before him. Demon-possessed people trembled before him. He would tell the lame to get up and walk. He, he did all kinds of crazy, miraculous things. And people still rejected him. Even some of his disciples had a hard time fully embracing like, what he claimed to be. Like one time, Jesus, after he fed like, those thousands of people, we're told 5,000 men. That, that doesn't include all, their, their, their wives and their children. And like, he fed a lot of people. 
with just five loaves of bread and two fish. And uh, shortly after that, the people of the crowds followed him and, and Jesus looked at him. He said, look, why are you here? Why, why, are you coming here because you, you had your belly fed? And, uh, and he said, I tell you the truth. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'll never have eternal life. And like most of those people left. They're like, this is just too hard. Just like moments. I don't know how, what the time frame was. Hours maybe after he miraculously fed these thousands of people. The question I have, and this is, I'm drawing this to a close. The question I have for us is who, like I, I know what you'll say, like the Sunday school answer, if I ask you this question, who is Jesus? You'll say, well, he's the son of God. But who is Jesus? Just search the deepest resources, recesses of your heart. Who is Jesus to you? Like, is he just, is he an icon? Is he, um, is he like baby Jesus in a, in a manger? Or is he the king? And if he is the king, how are you responding to him? Like, if he is all these things that we looked at and just these, these this handful of verses, if he is all that, 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 that the Bible claims him to be, what are you doing with him? You, do you trust him? Do you really believe that he is faithful and true? Are you convinced that he is able to take the mess of your life and turn it around? That he's, that, that he's not, if you're a Christian in this room, that he's not weary of you? And if you're not a Christian in this room, if you've never placed your faith and trust in, your, in, in Jesus Christ, you can do that before you leave here. Not just with your head, but with your heart. To really believe that he is enough, just like you believe that the chair was enough to hold you up when you sat in it this morning. When I was uh, thinking about the, the series, the Advent series, as I was thinking about this, this sermon today, I, I was reflecting on um, one of my favorite movies and favorite stories, uh, The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. How many of you have seen it or read it? Okay, most of you. If you haven't seen it, it's a great movie. I think it's, I think it's in the category of a Christmas movie. It should be there. Um, it's a great movie. It came out in 2005. If you haven't read it, I'd encourage you to read it. Uh, there's a whole series of them. But uh, just, to, just, to, just to set it up, Aslan is a lion, and Aslan is the Christ figure. Actually, Netflix, hopefully they don't mess it up, Netflix is, is doing a whole series on, on Narnia. And so Aslan is a Christ figure. C.S. Lewis was very intentional that Aslan would be a type of Christ in the story. And there's this one, there's a scene in the movie, and there's this point in the book where, where Lucy, there's these four kids, one of them was by the name of Lucy, and, and, um, and, and Be Mr. and Mrs. Beaver are talking about, so the animals talk in the story, they're talking about uh, this king. And uh, they're, right now, they're just, it, it, the, the, the white witch is kind of seems like she's gotten dominance over Narnia, and it's always winter but never Christmas. But Aslan is on the move. He's coming. And, and uh, as they describe this Aslan to them, Lucy asks, is he, is he a man? Said Mr. Bert Beaver sternly. Certainly not. I tell you, he is the king of the wood and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who is the king of beasts? Aslan is a lion. The lion. The great lion. Oh, said Susan. I, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? 
I shall feel rather nervous about, being, about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and make no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or just silly. Then Lucy asked, isn't he safe? I love this line. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Jesus Christ is the king. He's a good and he's a faithful king. He's not safe, not according to Revelation chapter 19, but he's good. Who is he to you? The worship team's going to come up and, and lead us in the final song, but I, I, I just leave you with, with, these, with these words. Let's just go to uh, Psalm, the, the last part of Psalm chapter 2. Let's read this together. Ready? Let's stand while the worship team's coming up, and let's read this together. Here we go. Serve the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son that he not be angry and you perish on the way, for his wrath may be kindled quickly. How blessed are those who take refuge in him. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.